We light these candles as a symbol of hope. When we are overwhelmed, when we are frightened, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In an uncertain world, he gives us hope. Luke 2, 8 through 16. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. This is the word of the Lord for us. My dad's name was Dan. My mom's name is Donna. Their firstborn, Dana. Then came Dina. That's right. They, they were the perfect family with these perfect matching names. Dan, Donna, Dana, and Dina. And then they got saved. <laughs> they met Jesus, and for the first time they had hope. Dan, Donna, Dana, Dina, and Hope. And what a great opportunity it was when people asked, why did the new baby not have the same matching name as all the rest? It was a great opportunity to share the hope they had found in Jesus. Hope changes everything. I think if I were to take a survey this morning, we would discover that hope is hard to find. Hope is hard to find. I don't need to go on with the list of reasons why, but we live in an uncertain world. There are so many things we could mention with inflation and the economy and uncertainties about our finances. There's the future that's looming. Not just for young people, but for all of us. The future that looms. What's going to happen tomorrow and next year and in the next five years? Or... Am I going to meet someone to get married? Am I going to enter into the right field? Should I go to school? Should I get, should I get an education or not? All of those decisions, all of those, all of those big haunting questions. Will Messi win the World Cup today? <laughs> I think we, as we think of hope, we sort of think of it as this optimistic, you know, clench your hands together and, and uh, you just are wishing that everything is going to turn out well. But that's not biblical hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That, that biblical hope is actually something that's got weight and heft. It's not wishful thinking, just an optimistic feeling. Not, well, I hope that my dreams will maybe be fulfilled somehow. It's got weight and heft. Why? Because the source of our hope is Christ. Christ is the source of our hope. Let's nerd out a little bit on a word study. The Old Testament Hebrew word for hope. It is tikva. We could uh, transliterate this like a T-I-K-V-A-H, tikva. It's a Hebrew word. The literal definition of, he of tikva is rope, a cord, a, a rope or cord. That's the literal definition. It's something to grasp. 
It's something to cling to. Maybe even with confidence. With anticipation. So maybe think about the person who's, who's standing at the edge of the, of the platform and they've got the handle and they're going to do a big giant rope swing. It's clinging with anticipation. That's the Hebrew word tikva. And we translate it in our English as hope. Hope means I bring my problems to the Lord as I hold on to the promises of God, the specific promises from God's word. So we hold on to hope as if it were a lifeline. It's like no wonder the Bible says in Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. No, my friend, hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is rooted and grounded in the promises of God, and it's something that we grasp and hold on to with anticipation and confidence. What good news? That because of Jesus, we have hope, even in an uncertain world. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue on with our Christmas series. Let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor. Thrilled that you are with us today. And I am praying, as always, that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. This is week three. Next weekend will be our fourth and final in the Christmas series. So I do hope that you'll come and join us, invite your family and friends, come either Saturday evening or Sunday morning uh, for our Christmas service. We're calling it, of course, Hope for the Holidays. Hope for the holidays as we celebrate and even walk through a season of celebration. Why? Because of the Christ child. We're reminded through this season that because of Jesus, we have hope. And and not just for us, hope for all humanity. We heard it from the the, uh, announcement to the shepherds from the angels. Good news that will cause great joy for whom? All people. Hope in the darkness, hope in the brokenness, hope in our uncertainty, and hope in our busyness. So it kind of goes without saying at this point, but it's a season that can be stressful, busy, overwhelming, difficult. It, it can be a dark and heavy time, right? Sometimes you have what's, what's known as a blue Christmas. You have a blue Christmas. What that means is it doesn't feel so joyful and merry and bright. The thrill of hope seems to be absent. A blue Christmas. Like maybe you're alone, Or maybe you're struggling with a loss. Or maybe you're doubting and questioning your life choices. Or you're in a bad situation. Or you're overcome with regret. Or maybe you're questioning God. God, where are you? God, how could this be? And yet in that darkness, the reason it's a blue Christmas is because all around you people are chipper. Everyone's cheery. Everyone's bright. There's always a party to attend. There's always someone saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. They're jubilant. They're excited. And it only seems to make it worse. When you're down and the people around you are upbeat, it only makes it worse. Now, I will say this. Some people have a more natural tendency to be a little more hopeful, right? There, there are certain uh, people that God has wired in a way that are a little more upbeat and others that are not. Like, it's the classic glass half full debate. You know, the pessimist says glass is half empty. Optimist says glass half full. You know what the Mennonite says, don't you? The Mennonite says the glass is actually full. I refilled it while the two of you were arguing. <laughs> don't lose hope. Even when it seems like you're failing over and over and over again, don't lose hope. Even when things don't go as you planned or expected, even when you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you feel like three strikes, 
Don't lose hope. Even in your weariness, even when you're tired, there is hope. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ, we have hope even in our uncertainty. For our study this morning, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 2. That's primarily where we'll be. So turn with me, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to find that the, the news of the newborn king was very unsettling for some, namely King Herod, right? So, so Herod is the guy, before we read the passage, just a little background on him. He's, he's king of the Jews. He's been appointed king of the Jews anyway by the Roman government, right? And what we know about him is he is a brutal and barbaric leader. Now, I do want to keep the sermon PG this morning. So let me just suffice it to say he didn't play nice. He ruled with an iron fist. And for King Herod, it would not be uncommon for his family members to mysteriously get poisoned (laughs) or otherwise meet their demise. And so when he hears about the birth of this newborn king, he hears about it from the wise men, then he he makes plans that he's going to handle this situation and he's going to do so very swiftly. But what happens is the wise men fool him, they slip away, and he does not find out exactly where Jesus is. Um, so we're, in, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Let's start at verse 13. Matthew 2, starting at verse 13. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is an amazing story that we don't often think about, that Jesus spent part of his childhood living in Africa and Egypt. That, that the Lord directed his parents to, hey, get out of town, because this evil king, this madman, this barbaric leader is going to try to take you out. It's like in the same way that God delivered his people out of Egypt in Exodus, those great Uh, true stories that we read there. God is also unfolding his plan to preserve the life of Jesus, who one day, of course, is going to lead all people out of the bondage of slavery to sin. It's this really beautiful illustration that even now, through the lens of Christ and knowing this story, when we read the story of Exodus, we see, oh, it's a foreshadowing of what the Lord was going to do, even having Jesus spend part of his childhood there. While Herod was on a rampage trying to kill him, the Lord preserved him and then brought him, led him out of Egypt, just as he had done the people of Israel. So as we talk about having hope in the face of uncertainty, I want to begin by pointing out that the promises of God are sure. This reference here of what the Lord has fulfilled through the prophet, it's a prophecy in Hosea 11.1. He fulfilled the prophecy of having come out of Egypt and the salvation that God had planned. The promises of God are sure. It's like no matter what Herod tried to do, he couldn't thwart or halt the plans of God. Like like in his mind, he has worked really hard. He's worked too hard to give up his position as king to a newborn baby. (laughs) Like like that's going to be hardly any opposition or obstacle to him. He's, He's handled far more powerful, far more capable, this is all in his mind, of course, foes or challengers. 
And so what he does in, in this situation, he can't find Jesus. And so he says, all right, all the boys, age two and under, are to be killed. He, he orders max, mass execution for all the male children that were under the age of two that lived in that region. So we're in Matthew chapter 2. Let's pick it back up at verse 16. It says, When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's such a fascinating study to realize that that even in his bloodthirsty rage, I mean, the, the horrors. Herod didn't realize he's dealing with almighty God. Like the Lord had even foretold this terror that would befall these innocent children and their families. The Lord had foretold that. So it's a prophecy from Jeremiah 31. He mentions the weeping of Rachel for her children. Of course, Rachel's one of the matriarchs. She's one of the mothers of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. She is the one who perished when, uh, in childbirth with Benjamin. And so in the mind and imagination of the Jews, Rachel symbolizes the deepest of weeping. Because she herself had perished, so she's never going to be able to complete the lamenting process. So it, it symbolizes, or the imagery is, it is the deepest of, almost unceasing weeping in the face of tragedy and grief for the people of God. See, here's what Herod thought. I can use violence to get my way. That was the way he operated. I'll just use force. I'll just intimidate again, control again, manipulate, coerce, and things are going to go my way. Like in his mind, there is not room for another king. And so he needs to quickly exterminate any challenger. But the promises of God are sure. And no matter what Herod thought he could do or tried to do, he was not more powerful than the Almighty God. In the days that followed, of course, Herod was not able to hold on to his kingdom. Verse 19, we're in Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Herod died... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. You outlasted the bad guy. He didn't get you. And so it says, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Herod, the one that was appointed by the Romans as, okay, you're the king of the Jews. He's done. In fact, it's interesting because there are parallels there. His reign as king was 33 years. His legacy, of course, was, as I mentioned, uh, not PG. <laughs> Brutal, barbaric. He was a man desperate for power. But what prevailed? Was it Herod's will? Was it his might? No, it was the plans of God. That prevailed. Why? Because the promises of God are sure. So it says then in verse 22 and 23, but when he, that, that is Joseph, when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene time and time and time again as this story unfolds. As terrorizing as it is, as fearful as it must have been to take that flight to Egypt and have celestial angels coming and saying, now you need to leave, the child's in danger. Now you can return, Herod is dead. In all of that, the prophets had foretold that those things were going to happen. It was all unfolding according to God's plan. So listen, we can be encouraged by that. When things look hopeless, when you're in that place of uncertainty, even when you don't feel cheery and merry and bright, know that nothing can separate you from God's love. Because that's what the scriptures say. Nothing can separate you from his love. Even when you're overwhelmed. Even when you're frightened, even when you're uncertain, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. In an uncertain world, he gives us hope. His promises are sure. And when we seek God, we will find him. As we talk about having hope, even in uncertain times, when we seek him, we find him. So as we think about the passage that uh, we heard a few moments ago from Luke chapter 2, those shepherds on the hillside watching their flocks by night. When they heard that good news, what did they do? It says they hurried off. They rushed off to find the newborn babe. What a great picture for you and I and for our families. Would we also live in pursuit of Christ? When we hear about him, we pursue him. We press on seeking Christ. So I'll say this. If you're looking for answers to your questions, take them to Jesus. If you're looking for solutions to your problems, take them to Jesus. If you're looking for healing for your hurts, take it to Jesus. If you're looking for direction, for guidance, for wisdom, go to Jesus. In him is all the wisdom and knowledge of God. He will order your steps. He will direct your ways. When you're weary, when you're burdened, seek Jesus. We're going to dig in next week to uh, more about the Magi, the the wise men, and their part in the Christmas story. Um, But you come to him with all you have. You come to him with your fears, your doubts, your mess. You know, that's that's part of having hope, even in uncertainty, that we can draw near to him. So Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, apart from his forgiveness, apart from a relationship with him through Christ, we are destined for an eternity at the end of the age or when we die. We are destined for an eternity separated from God, this loving, loving heavenly father. And our eternity is eternal torment or punishment in the flames of hell. That's what we're destined for. That's where we're headed. Why? Because of our sin, because of our wrongdoing. But it's in God's mercy that he offers each and every person this free gift of salvation. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. 
You don't somehow do enough good and do enough right. And all of a sudden God says, okay, well, you're good enough. I guess you get eternity. You get heaven. You get paradise. No, that's not how it works. It is, oh God, have mercy on me. It is Jesus, based on your sacrifice on the cross, based on your pure, innocent, shed blood, I too, you impart to me righteousness. And therefore, my sins are washed away. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. That's the good news of the gospel. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter what you've done, no matter how confused you are or hurting you are, there is hope. Because our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ. As we talk about having hope in an uncertain world, our hope is in Christ. I'll remind you about a, a story in the Bible of John the Baptist. Do you remember him? He, he played this huge role in God's unfolding plan. He had proclaimed Jesus. He was a cousin of Jesus. And he proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. He had this great and powerful ministry. Even from an early age, he was set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit. But then he spoke against Herod. Now, this isn't the same Herod, by the way. Uh, it actually would have been his son. So the, Herod the Great, uh, although <laughs> not, nothing great about him, was the one that was after Jesus. The Herod that John spoke against because he wanted to take his brother's wife uh, would have been his son. And so John the Baptist speaks against Herod in his uh, sort of adultery and fornication, and he gets locked up in prison. It, we did a whole sermon series on this, which is why I say, do you remember? Because uh, I think many of you probably recall that. We talked about this just earlier this year and, and talked about John the Baptist, and we did this whole story. Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison. And what he does is he sends word to Jesus, and he says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? John was uncertain. John was wondering, like, well, he's in prison, right? So he's got nothing better to do. <laughs> he's in his own head, and he's thinking, hmm, okay, the advent of the Messiah, the coming of the, the new king, it was supposed to be really dramatic and powerful. This is like God and God's power breaking into our world. Like, that's what I was expecting. And then he's thinking about Jesus, and he's like, now Jesus... I hear he's been playing with children. <laughs> I, I hear he's been going to these dinner parties with tax collectors and prostitutes. I hear the things that he's been doing. That he's out there touching lepers. He, he's, he's teaching that it's peacemakers who are going to be blessed. And so John is in his head and he's thinking through and he's reflecting on these things as he's locked up in jail and he begins to grapple with uncertainty and doubt. And I love that story. And I think it's helpful to you and I because it helps us see that, that faith and questions aren't incompatible. Faith and questions aren't incompatible. They don't disqualify us when we walk through a time where we're uncertain. And we're unsure and we doubt. It doesn't disqualify us from God's kingdom. It doesn't even disqualify us from God's service. And continuing to press on by serving others and serving the Lord. It also doesn't mean, and this is, this is the point for this morning. Here's the tie into today. It also doesn't mean that we have no hope. When we walk through times of uncertainty. We cling to hope. Maybe even reciting Hebrews 6.19. 
that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls and it is firm and secure. So when we walk through uncertainty or doubt or questioning, it doesn't mean we lose hope. Because what John did well was he brought those questions where? To Jesus. He, he went to Jesus. He said, okay, you got to go ask him, are you the Messiah? Or should we start looking for someone else? The Lord just has this way of growing us in seasons of uncertainty. Because it's there that we best learn to trust him. It's there that we seek him wholeheartedly. It's there that our faith is strengthened. It's there that our hope is restored. Because of Jesus, we have hope in our uncertainty. Because it's only in Jesus that we have hope at all. Our hope is only in Christ. 1 Timothy 4.10 says this, We have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people. And I hope that you can say that today. That you can say, I have put my hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people. In fact, our prayer team is going to be available right in the front here after the service. If you want to come and share a burden, or, or maybe you haven't entered into a relationship with God through Christ, today's the day. We would love to pray with you and bear your burden. That you too would say, I've put my hope in the living God. He is the Savior of all people. And so I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to take heart. I want you to have hope. When we're weary, when we're worn, when we're confused, when things seem uncertain, when we feel like the fog isn't ever going to end. You know, we're, we're just looking for the clearing. When, when is day going to break? When is the clearing going to arrive? When am I going to see what's next? When it just seems like you're in that place of, I'm hurting and confused. Don't lose hope. And for those of us who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, one day, it's all going to be clear. Like the Lord is going to bring everything into focus. He's going to bring clarity to it all. Like now we see dimly. But one day we will see very clearly the truth and we will see God. That's what the scriptures say. So Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God's promises have never failed. They never will fail. And so our hope is certain because God is carrying out his master plan of salvation. No matter what people try to do, no matter what the kings of old try to do, God will carry it out. And he's carrying it out through his son, Jesus Christ. So listen, Jesus doesn't just give us hope. Jesus is our hope. <laughs> I want to be clear on that. It's not like Jesus just, he'll give you hope. No, no. It is Jesus who is our hope. He doesn't just show us the way. Jesus is the way. He doesn't just give us truth. Jesus is the truth. He, he doesn't just give us life. Jesus is life. And so we change and our circumstances change and life gets hard and it's uncertain and relationships are challenging, but Jesus never changes. 
And that's why we need to have Jesus as our only hope. From the very beginning, God has been unfolding this plan of redemption for all of creation. And so hope is merely believing that God is going to make good on his promises. What God said is what is going to happen. That's hope. Clinging to, like a rope, the good news and the promises and what we know that God has said because God's promises are sure. So hope doesn't mean an immediate answer to all of life's questions. (laughs) It does mean a confidence that the Lord is going to come through. It means a confidence that he's going to make good on his promises. So because of Christ, we have hope even in our uncertainty because of the great promises of God. We have hope for the holidays. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you and we celebrate the new life that you offer. That there is freedom, there is victory, there is hope not just for today, oh God. There is hope for all eternity. Knowing that you are carrying out your plan. It will not be thwarted, it will not be stopped. And so we thank you, Lord, that those who seek you find you. Oh, Lord, help us to seek you with all our heart today. To press on to know you. To say that I have put my hope in the living God, the Savior of all people. We thank you, Lord, that it's only you who's able to accomplish that. Through your goodness, through your might, through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. Because of your amazing, powerful love for us. The crown jewel of creation. The ones you made in your very image. So thank you, Lord, for the work you do to restore us back to you. That you've made a way. That you have a plan. Lord, we trust you. We pray for this season, O God. For the ones having a blue Christmas. That they would not be alone, but they would know God is Emmanuel, who is near. That they would take those hurts and those frustrations and those fears straight to you, just like John the Baptist did. Jesus, are you? God, can you? And in it all, Lord, that we would say, thank you. We trust you. So, Lord, thank you for your word. May it continue to sharpen us, challenge us, cut us to the core and lead us always back to the cross. We are eternally grateful. We pray it only in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen.